Ladies and gents, welcome back to another engineer's podcast. Today we have Mahir, who's a principal engineer at WISE, formerly known as TransferWISE. And we're going to be talking about some really cool things today that maybe you've seen on the pod in previous times. We're a fintech lover, but same but different, let's say. Building cloud native applications, and there's a really interesting project that Mahir and Wise are keen to talk about moving on prem services to a cloud native environment. We're going to be talking around regulations and some of the challenges around payments and moving money around, and also hiring software engineering. That's a really hot topic that I'm seeing being brought to the table on the podcast at the moment, and we're heavily involved in here at Engineers Artifacts and myself and the team. Mahir, thanks for coming to join us. Kim, and for having me. Pleasure. Do you want to give us an intro into who Mahir is and your background? Cool. Uh, so I'm Mahir. I'm a principal engineer at WISE. And uh, I've been with WISE for four years. I joined as a senior engineer here first. And uh, at WISE, as a principal engineer, I look at the tech on uh, WISE's debit card product vertical and WISE's, uh, WISE's API for businesses product vertical. Nice. And, uh, yeah. Cool. Do you want to give a better intro into WISE than I already have done? As in, it's way more sophisticated and complex than moving money around. So do you want to give us your elevator pitch into who WISE are? Cool. So, yeah, so let's go back to the origins of WISE, where WISE was founded by a founder, Starbit and Christo. And uh, they had a not so unique problem of where both of them were working in London, but Tarvid was being paid in euros. And right. uh, Christo had a mortgage to pay back home in Estonia in euros, while Christo was earning in pounds. And they found out that just using banks or any other money transfer service was quite expensive because uh, they wouldn't use the mid-market exchange rate or the exchange rate when you Google something that how much is pound to euro. And uh, their fees would be obscene as well. So they just figured that what they would do is that Christopher would just give uh, pounds to Tarbit for living in London and Tarbit would give him euros at mid-market rate to pay his mortgage back home in Estonia. And they realized that, okay, this is a problem just between the two of them, but it's not a unique problem. It's shared by millions of us around the world. And uh, that's how that was. That's how it essentially Wise started. And so Wise is a global financial technology company, and we are present in a lot of regions around the world and move money and manage money across multiple currencies around the world. We have more than 16 million customers at the moment and more wow. than 60 banks who use Wise services to offer to their own customers. And like over the last decade, we have just worked upon building local integrations with local scheme across the globe to make money movement very quick, easy, and very cheap and using the mid-market rate. What a story from, from two people to challenges around the paying mortgages, exchange rates to 16 million customers and over 60 banks. That's phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. It's... What a story. What have your last four years been like with WISE? Uh, so there have been 
few of the years where I've learned and grown as a person, as a profession, professional the most because of the sheer amount of autonomy Wise gives you and the freedom it gives you to define your own role or figure out your own place in the company and doing what's most impactful to achieve Wise's mission, which is essentially make money movement quick, easy and free, eventually free. And um, when I started off with Wise, I joined um, the debit card issuance product vertical. And at that point of time, over a few months, we were like at only three or four people. So the journey started off with essentially uh, hiring and increasing the size of the team first. And at the same point of time, growing the product, launching it in more different regions. Uh, We had a massive monolith, which was a massive blocker for a lot of operations. So splitting that monolith into multiple services. And when I joined, we were in the middle of our process of moving from on-premise to like a physical data center to using cloud, we chose AWS. So supporting that part of the process of moving debit card related aspects to AWS and then uh, a massive project of building our own debit card issuance platform rather than using third-party partners. Talk to me about that journey of moving your services from on-premise environments, physical data centers to AWS. I know there are specific challenges in payments that it presents, which we'll talk about, but talk to me about that journey of moving those services and that infrastructure already to AWS. Cool. So as over, I'll talk more about WISE in general on what the problems we are facing with on-premise. So at that point in time, WISE as a business, we had to handle a constantly growing demand of our offerings. And we needed to extend our offerings to multiple regions as well. And at the same point in time, we need to keep our customers' money safe. We need to iterate on the product quickly, keep adding more uh, features time to time. And we want the service to be functional and reliable most of the time. And, um, And all of this can be achieved with physical data centers or varied degree of ownership of bare metal. But at the at that time, our goals was not to faff about trying to get a hold of our account manager of a vendor to fix a particular network card uh, running our monolith's database or uh, handle our Monday morning load without actually going down and try and aim for a 395 SLO and uh, not having to travel to a different country where the data center was to perform various key ceremonies required for payments or taking auditors with us for them to verify whether a data center is up to the requirement or not. And uh, supporting the product teams by making it easier for them to launch new services and database really quickly so that they can continue their effort of uh, modularizing the monolith we have into smaller services and uh, making deployments and rollback easier. And also shortening the time to launch new regions uh, and integrating with the local regional schemes, which without having the complexity of finding a new data center vendor in those regions. Yeah. Now, all of this is completely doable with the data center. But if at that point of time with a 20 person infrastructure team and six people in the security team, it just seemed close to impossible, yeah. which triggered a move to AWS essentially. Yeah, I can imagine. There's quite a lot in there that I I even didn't realize that you have to consider 
I understand, especially for product teams, you know, speed of deploying some of their services or new features, but actually being physically present in some of those locations to perform tasks. Even I didn't realize that. Yeah, there would be multiple visits to data centers where uh, you would have a hardware security module in which you have to go one by one with an operator and manually enter the keys, then they come out and you need an observer on the side who observes the process in an unbiased manner that nobody's leaking the key material, etc. And also the auditors verify the data center security and the processes, etc. Yeah. Were you involved in that that planning strategy about moving some of those services or all of your services to the cloud? Yeah, so I was involved in moving uh, our key debit card processing services from cloud to uh, AWS. Talk to us about some of those challenges and what you learned from that. So there are two aspects, there are two uh, iterations to it. So the first iteration is that uh, the initial draft of the debit card product was just three services and uh, we would use third party partners to do everything for us. So that's the first layer of it. And the second layer of it is when we built it in-house, modularized it ourselves and when we built it properly, completely over the cloud itself. So the first step was that it was very dependent on the partner because we would have VPN tunnels with the partner and the on-prem, the partners in this space and financial services space, uh, it's a very safe presumption to have that if you just assume that everybody assumes every is uh, everyone has significant control over physical hardware themselves. Yeah. So any integrations or any connectivity which is built by any existing big player in the financial services assumes that you're functioning of a data center. So there, a lot of the effort was just working with a third party provider in this scenario, we call them a, a card processor. Yeah. To f- them to figure out, okay, how do you want us to connect if we are on AWS? Uh, so this is how we do it right now. You want us to host this device. We run it in a data center and we form this connection. But now we are in AWS. How do we connect a persistent, reliable connection yeah. over cloud where the resources are mostly ephemeral and they can just vanish and come back at any time? Yeah. So how do we restructure this particular part to work with you? So... That was a six month long effort because it involved a lot of back and forth with the, with a partner and the processor to figure it out. And, uh, the later effort of building our own, like getting rid of uh, our debit card processing partners was a much bigger effort and much more because it had never been done before. Like nobody, uh, vice was the first and is, uh, who was the first who to run a debit card issuance processor completely on cloud because it wasn't even possible before that. Talk to me about what that looked like, because when there's no support community to support you on any of those challenges, that's a lot of unknowns you've got to navigate through. So talk to us about that journey. So, we used to issue MasterCard debit cards all around the regions and uh, across different regions, we would have different partners yeah. with uh, whom we would integrate and connect to help us issue cards. Now, card issuance com- contains of three massive components. One is actual issuance of the cards, which means the card you, the 
credit or debit card you have, the card number on it, the CVV on the back of it, two CVVs, one on the Mac stripe, one on the chip itself, and the pin you set with it. So all of that is cardholder data and yeah. actually issuance of that cardholder data. The second is saying yes or no when you tap your card. Like what happens when you tap your card at retail and saying yes or no to that. And the third is all back office operations, which is actually finalizing the money movement, settling the bill with the scheme itself, and uh, also figure, reconciling that what you paid out and what you got matches yeah, yeah. up or not. So when we used to use third-party partners, the connecting directly to the scheme was done by the partner, handling all sensitive information like card number, CVV would be done by the partner because that requires a PCI DSS certification which is a card industry specific security standard you have to follow if you were to process any cardholder data. Yeah. And uh, connecting with the card manufacturers, like somebody who prints the cards and sends it back over to you. So now if we were to build it all ours, now all the current processes use physical data centers and that's how everything is done, where the standard, the PCID as a standard is written, keeping in mind that it, somebody who anyone who's going to apply for the certification would probably be using a physical data center yeah. uh, and manage it themselves and the scheme also has all of their documents all of the spec everything written from the point of view of with an assumption that they run their own hardware they have they can buy a payment hsm yeah. uh, to do these do the cryptographic operations themselves so a payment hsm is uh, something which is responsible for transporting your pin block, like encrypting your pin block in a certain manner. It also generates your CVV, it authenticates a request, it's, it's payment-specific cryptographic operations. So nobody knows how it's actually done because usually you just, what you do is you just buy a payment HSM, you get a proprietary networking hardware from the card schemes, which is MasterCard, Visa, Amex, Diners, etc., and you put it in a data center which connects to the scheme. You get the request, you authenticate it with the payment HSM, and you do other stuff like say yes or no, need or not. So the biggest challenge was okay, what do we do with the hardware which we need to get with this from the scheme, which we need to host in a data center which we don't have of any, and. Um, so there, uh, Visa was an absolute star where we worked with Visa to develop uh, one of their product offerings, which is now Cloud Connect and available to other issuers, to uh, where we figured out a way where Visa will host their networking hardware in the data center on our behalf and offer it as a service to their issuers over right. IPsec tunnels. So that didn't require much of a change on Visa's side because they just run the same hardware, but in their data center, but yeah. it involved a lot of innovation on uh, how you could actually securely allow other card issuers to connect to them. And uh, that was one massive bit of it. There was the other aspect of uh, payment HSMs. Like how do you, like a simple thing, like the CVV is not randomly generated, which you have in a card, yeah. or the PIN which you enter at a terminal is encoded and encrypted and transported over a certain format. So how do you decrypt it and decode it to actually verify whether it's your pin correct, you type your pin correctly or not. And uh, the algorithms and the documentation on how it's done is states back to 80s. So 80s, 80s yes. Wow. And um, we were, so first of all, the problem was we don't know what we had to do. 
like like payment is we spoke to different vendors we spoke to visa they had to bring people out of retirement to answer our questions we had to, <laughs> we spoke to few uh dss auditors we spoke to engineering team at monzo uh to figure out what needs to be done over here and uh, over a period of time we've got to know more and more things and the biggest challenge still was just you don't know what you don't know but we figured uh, implemented a software solution using a lot of massive test beds uh, of test data which we asked visa to send us so to we can verify whether the cvv we are generating is accurate or not whether we are processing the pin correctly or not and we use hashicorp's vault for and plugin system for that okay um, interesting yeah. there's a couple of things that are on the tip of my tongue and uh, i wanted to understand what why do you think visa made that move to to facilitate that for you because that felt as if it was a really pivotal move in moving some of your services to the cloud so what why do you think visa made that move for you so visa has actually been a great partner where they like we're going to support you in any way we can and they also understood that it's time for them to expose these a lot increasingly more and more financial services companies are yeah. going over cloud and uh, issuing wise we were the first on acquiring wise uh, from an acquiring point of view there are a lot of companies who run over cloud like adian themselves and uh, stripe as well so they realized that okay this has to happen sometime or the other and wise because we were also at such a state of there we didn't have any issuing a uh, software already which worked and we were building something out of our own so they thought that we would be like the best partner to develop this with test it out with and go live with yeah and uh, it they had recognized that it's an inevitability that they need to have a cloud offering it was just about when and uh, they decided that we would be the best partner to start on this with there's something that's really interesting that's popped up and for me anyway reflecting on what you've said over the last few minutes engineering through uncertainty because when you started that project you weren't sure if you could liaise with monzo that this is my understanding and interpretation anyway you'd be able to liaise with monzo we didn't know people from the 80s were going to come out of retirement sorry people from visa were going to come out of retirement working on stuff in the 80s. So what is it like engineering through uncertainty? How do you do that as a team? So as so engineering through uncertainty is that um, first of all believing that if we know what to do we'll be able to do it. So that part is that because of software people yep. are and there are we, we have no limitations with distributed systems etc so we know that okay once we figure out what to do we can do it so it's figuring out what to do right or what we are missing right and uh, through engineering through uncertainty is like being very clear with everyone around you that what you don't know or you know that this functions and drawing hypothesis and then trying and figuring out who you can speak to to validate your hypothesis or what is required or what you know what you don't know and uh, often times the best people to tell you what you don't know is uh, sales people selling the services <laughs> so uh, if you want anything like if you want a database uh, or 
any concepts. There would be salespeople who would come and tell you that, hey, we are selling this database and it does these things. You would find out a lot of new things which you didn't know about uh, as a concept. You don't have to take them on their word on what it does or anything like that, but as a concept that exists. So like for processing, we didn't know that we needed a payment HSM till we spoke to salespeople from processing providers that, hey, we provide you with an HSM. So we're like, oh, we need an HSM. They're like, yeah, you need an HSM. I was like, oh, what does the HSM do? You find out more about that. And uh, okay. yeah, I think that helped us quite a lot because that's a because really interesting point. That's a really interesting point. I think to have the humility to hold your hands up and say, we know where we want to be. We think we have an under, understanding as to how to engineer a solution, but there's so much in, in between that we don't know. How do we navigate that and who do we speak to? That sounds as if that's a really important learning from some of this experience. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is just testing it, like uh, just doing what you know, uh, putting it out there on maybe various test pads, certifications, etc., which will also enable you to find out what you didn't know and what you missed. But doing it quicker makes you makes that discovery quicker yeah. rather than building a big thing which based out of hypothesis and testing it at a later date. Yeah, I can imagine. You were touching on some points around encryption and cryptography. I, I can imagine those challenges were quite significant. Can, can we talk about some of those? So uh, the older versions of PCI DSS standards was written that it assumed that everybody would have a hardware security module which is yep. essentially stores uh, secret key material on at a hardware level itself. And uh, with more and more financial tech like uh, companies who would need PCI DSS moving to the cloud, HSM becomes sort of a very difficult thing to have. Uh, cloud providers would have some limited HSM offering, but uh, there would also be a payment HSM offering on top, which cloud providers do not have at the moment except right now IBM has something, but AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, they don't have a payment HSM offering. Got you. So that means that the op operations which the HSMs were supposed to do, you have we have to do ourselves with an equivalent level of security, which is actually secure for our customers. Secondly, it also clears PCIDSS certification. So what that meant was that uh, we had to figure out how to authenticate a card authorization request how to generate a multiple types of CVV your card might have, how to uh, encrypt and encode a pin and decrypt and decode a pin over transit and various other verification features, whether you're tapping your card at an authenticated till or not, etc. as well. So we, uh, PCIDSS over uh, newer versions had started accounting for something called a secure cryptographic device and which could be a software-based thing where, where this was a very recent uh, amendment to that but it has to follow and hsms have different levels of security level requirements so uh, it's given by another uh, national information security some company which is not company some uh, regulatory body which is something like fips 140.2 level 2 level 3 level 4 etc Level four is the maximum you can have. And PCI DSS requires level two for which there are a lot of solutions 
not a lot of but there are, there's hashicorp vault which offers that where fips 140.2 level 2 compliance requirements on software itself so we figured that we can use that and write plugins for payment specific cryptography aspects and uh, use that as a secret store for key storage got you the other part is uh, we had to invent key import ceremonies like key exchange ceremonies where the partners would send us keys to store like visa would send you keys to store to generate cvv you have to send a key to uh, the card manufacturer to decrypt the data you sent to them and we had to do this during lockdown because when you can't meet in person so we had to figure out how we are going to design a key exchange ceremonies because these things were never done you just hsms come with a fixed way of how you do key exchanges or key imports but if you have a solution like this you have to figure out how you're going to do a key exchange and key import got you it, it sounds as if with encryption cryptography especially in payments it's pretty universal with hsms and keys themselves were there any independent or isolated challenges that you found multi-regionally you know in different parts of let's just use europe as an example were there challenges there that you were finding that were making it difficult to do this uh related to card payments is pretty except for us all of the world is pretty universal on how it works with the card schemes except for us us is completely different ball game on card payments and uh, there are challenges with local schemes like fps and sepa which are again very similar challenges but uh, they don't have a solution like the card schemes because card schemes requirement is fips uh, 140.2 level 2 compliance which can be achieved on software based but uh, other payment schemes across countries have various other requirements on uh, cryptography where they require level 3 which can which definitely requires an hsm or if you do a 3ds check when you order online and you need to receive a one otp any provider in the card scheme who implements that functionality needs a level 3 compliance as well fips 140.2 level 3 compliance hsm visas move then seems like a smart move really because any fintech that i see pop up nowadays you know we we spoke to griffin a number of years years back and they're a, a banking authentication as a service platform we, we've spoken to adjun where they were quite clear about they run their payments on an on premise environment but nowadays everyone seems to be doing let's just call it holistically payments in the cloud what what would be your biggest learning that you would give to someone else if they were about to embark on this journey do you feel uh the first thing will be that um, because you're doing something new uh you really have to read the regulation in or the standard you have to comply with Yeah. yourself and break it down to the bare bone and break it down to its intent as well that what are they exactly trying to achieve with this yeah or why does this requirement exist and uh what is the way you can solve the intent of this requirement over cloud because there is a good reason that these requirements exist okay it's, the, it's not globally applicable for everything but there would be a reason why these requirements exist and also what they are what was the intention behind them so and trying to implement that intent onto your system 
the other part is the auditor whoever audits your system on whatever you're building is a human person as well to whom you can talk to and to whom you can explain it to it's better if you get an auditor who already has experience or and understands cloud systems that is one massive key thing where if you are getting an auditor who's never used to a cloud system you'll have to explain a lot of new things and concepts to them you'll have to explain kubernetes you'll have to explain service meshes how do you do service to service communication authentication authorization role based access controls which cloud offers or you get an auditor who already has experience with these things and uh, that is quite an important part and uh, you can explain you what you are trying to do how you're solving a particular requirement of any standard or spec you're following and uh, also you can verify while developing uh, the intent of the standard with your auditor or probably a consultant in that space itself so rather than building something uh, with your head down and then or getting it audited later keeping an open channel of communication between an auditor slash consultant yeah. on what you're doing and getting feedback constantly on a design is going to be much cheaper and quicker and better for you that's really good feedback and going back to your first point i feel this more and more with the podcast i think understanding the business logic and requirements and using the technology as your aid or support to supercharge you is really key really key uh, help us understand more about wise more about your hiring strategy if we move on to that that's a big thing for us at engineers especially at the moment with macroeconomic situation Hiring retentions are really, really hot topic. So, talk to us about hiring at Wise and what that looks like. So, at Wise, we everybody who works has a lot of autonomy at every level. So that goes down to you as a contributor, to you, your team, to the squad or the product vertical you belong to. or the bigger department you belong to so everybody has a lot of autonomy where everybody feels empowered enough that they can make a suggestion and it will be heard paid attention to and if they can make a case well enough for it uh, for it it will be executed as well so what we because of that autonomy what we do differently advise is we expect all of us software engineers to play a role of product engineer and it's the same for our analysts our designers and everybody is a product analyst a product engineer a product manager or a product designer and uh, every quarter the entire team gets together and they figure out each and every one ha- having a say in it on what they should build next why they should build next and then uh, how they should build it so apart from analyzing the technical ability of uh, engineers or technical experience of engineers we also look at their product mindset on whether they can reason about uh, what uh, regarding a product what they are building and why they are building it or what they should be building or why they should be building it and can they ask the right questions around that part so we have multiple product managers interview and Uh, pair up and interview an engineer as part of their interview journey with Wise as well, 
and uh, on the technical aspect we so we realize that interviewing people will never be perfect and uh, there is a difference there's a gap between uh, a person's interviewing performance and their uh, performance at the job and uh, we try and minimize that gap as much as possible by doing few things we don't ask whiteboard lead lead code type of questions or puzzle programming puzzles we try and figure out how they code in their most comfortable area and uh, with real world problems and the other part is we don't um, limit them that you can't use google or you can't ask for help etc we are very we try and act as a team member with them trying to attack the same problem and uh, they can use google they can use ide for coding they can ask whatever we don't expect you to have unrealistic condition what you won't have at the job we always be able to google anything you'll always be able to use an ide etc so we try and recreate that aspect uh, aspects of interviewing as well that's key i think i think the interesting part is um measuring the impact or um, measure so measuring from interview into when they start at wise how do you feel you're able to do that because what you're trying to create is a real life team scenario setting as in how they would act or uh, cooperate with other engineers or how they would actually find out something on google What's the measurement there in your eyes? So a lot of the performance measurement aspects I'm not aware of at Wise altogether because I'm not a manager. So I don't uh, exactly know. So I know for sure that somebody at Wise does actually look at that and is looking at that, but I'm not involved in that at all. Got you. Yeah. Got you. But I think the first part is really interesting looking at a product engineering mindset and i see this with businesses that are quite akin to yours where you're building something for large-scale users i think the product interview is now becoming so so important how can you understand functional non-functional requirements changes in what you're building as opposed to how do you just build a static application, leave it, no scale challenges, this won't change in a year, two years. Understanding that mindset of how people apply their thinking to something real life that customers use on a day-to-day basis, I would say is a really smart way to go and interview people. Yeah, 100%. And it... Um, uh it makes a massive difference on how you even write a pure technical solution to anything as well. Like uh, a sample example will be that suppose if you're implementing a feature that for every car transaction you do, you need to show logos of uh, where you spend the money at. If you spend it at McDonald's, you need to show the McDonald's logo. Now, uh, technically it's quite simple, like find a logo provider, send the name of the transaction and get the logo and show it on the thing. Now, where it gets, where the product mindset kicks in is that if the person building this realizes that, hey, Vice doesn't just do car transactions. Vice also does direct debits. Vice also does money transfers. Vice also in uh, 
does peer-to-peer payments. So it's not just showing the logo of that card merchant next to the transaction. It's showing direct debit to Vodafone. Vodafone's logo in that scenario as well. And uh, sending money to HSBC. Then HSBC logo is there as well. And uh, I think that's where then your technical design gets affected because it's directly an impact of your product thinking because as a product you realize that uh, it's these things will want it in the future as well yeah absolutely no i completely agree i think it's i do think it's a really critical part of software engineering in today's day and age and where the industry continues to move more that engineers do think about the impacts that what their writing has on customers. I want to wrap up for today and just say a massive, massive thank you for coming to spend your time with us, sharing some of your secrets on what I know was a really, really complex uh, move to the cloud, if you like, and how you navigated through that. And some of what you did was pretty cool and pretty interesting. And I think the hiring strategy for you guys and girls is is really unique and I'm keen to see what you guys and girls continue to do more of and what you've done so so well what a story from um, mortgage repayments in pounds and euros to 16 million customers so a massive thanks cool thank you for having me absolute pleasure and as always a massive thanks from engineers what's key is we like share subscribe this content it's important that people like Mahir Wise come and share their stories with us we're massively passionate about this and want to continue to expand on some of the amazing stories that we've shared already over the last few years so please tell friends but please do click that subscribe button or or like what we're doing and a massive thanks and a massive thanks again Mahir for joining us yeah. Bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing, and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.